series on revival. And I'm excited because we have, uh, we're about over halfway through. We have this message on training ourselves, and then we have next week on community, and then the last one on our need to grow theologically. And I'm excited that we've had a blessed time on this series, and today we are going to continue on by looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them or turn them on, whatever you do, and flip on over to 1 Timothy 4, 7, which simply says, and I have it on the screen if you don't have a Bible too, have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. What a great verse. And I used to be in fitness when I was a, a, a little bit younger. I used to love working out. I used to go to the gym regularly and lift weights. I enjoyed pushing myself to see if I could do more reps, lift heavier weights. And now I'm just into fitting as much pizza in my mouth as possible. But, uh, but a few months ago, I started to get the urge that, hey, I need to go back and work out mainly because I was tired of buying more shirts. I figured it was cheaper to get a gym membership than continuing to expand my wardrobe as I expand. And uh, when I went to the church, or sorry, the church, I'm always in the church. When I went to the gym uh, and I grabbed the weights that I used to lift, I was quickly humbled and swallowed my pride and I put those weights back down and I grabbed the lighter weights and I went way too hard with those weights. Like I kicked it into gear. I lifted everything I could. I exercised every muscle I knew about. And the next morning I went to get out of bed and thought I was dying. And I haven't been back to the gym since. And <laughs> but what did I do wrong? What I did wrong was I was thinking that I could work out at the same level, at the same intensity that I did before. But I couldn't. Because what I needed to do was I needed to train myself again. I needed to put in the work, the hard work and the routine to be able to work back to that degree and greater again. And I mention this because just like in the physical, with our physical bodies, as a Christian, you are going to face many obstacles in your life. Many of you already know that. And many of us are like me, who went back to the gym way too confident in past successes, and I was relying on past successes, and I failed miserably. And many of us have that same confidence in past successes and successfulness in our godliness, and we're too prideful, and we get stuck when we hit the obstacles in our life. We don't overcome them, but rather we get hindered by them. And we are in need to train ourselves once again, to overcome these obstacles that we face and the obstacles after that one and the obstacles after that one. And this life of obstacles that God has placed us into is only successfully navigated through godliness. And godliness is produced through God's power in our persistence. Meaning God gives us the ability and the power to cultivate godliness in our lives. But we also must participate by doing the hard work of tilling the ground as well with strength. We're making our soil, if you would, of our heart conducive for life. And if you're not growing in godliness, then you will not navigate the life that God has laid out for you. But you might be wondering, why am I talking about godliness when this is a series on revival? And before I tell you why, I just want to quickly recap 
what revival is because I want this definition burned into your minds at the end of this series so we don't get sucked into something called revivalism where we do become slaves to trying to make things happen. So I want this to be heard and at the forefront of your minds because many of you, since I've started this series, I've been surprised, have had negative experiences with revivalism. I don't think I anticipated how many here actually had negative experiences with that. So revival, whether it's personal revival, whether it's corporate revival, or a revival that impacts many, the working definition that we have for this series from Richard Robert Owens is revival is the extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. And remember, what makes it extraordinary is not because the Holy Spirit is doing something new, different, or crazy, but it's extraordinary because the Holy Spirit's doing what he always does in the church, but on a greater level with more intensity and more ferocity, if you will, in a shorter time frame. And the Holy Spirit's regular work is just accelerated and it produces extraordinary results, not because the results are different than what you would expect to see in a regular church, but the results are rapidly increasing and they're happening on a broader scale. That's what makes it extraordinary. So we're talking things like conversion, repentance, faith, love, purity, and godliness. And godliness is the result of revival. That's one of the key marks of a true revival. And it's hard to tell if, it's a, if this is one of the marks during the revival until maybe a year or so after the revival and we see people continuing on in godliness, not just worked up by emotionalism. So, what we're t- what, uh, but when we're talking about revival and godliness, it's, it, it's God's work, but we still play a role in both. We still play a role in our godliness, and we still play a role in revival. And that's because God brings about revival through certain means. And I've been talking about the means of grace in almost every sermon. And the means of grace are what God brings about revival. And they require us to seek God, to trust God, to believe God, and to obey God. You might be thinking, well, that's nothing fancy. It's not. It's just basic Christianity that every single one of you is called to. So today, what, I'm going, what I want us to focus on is the idea of training ourselves for godliness. And the big idea of this sermon that it all boils down to, what I want you to take home and remember, is this. Godliness is the consequence of God's power and our persistence. But before I get to defining the, uh, 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 what godliness is, I want to talk about the, uh, begin by, def- oh, sorry, I wanted to begin by defining godliness before we get to the aspects of training, and then we're going to talk about God's power, and I'm going to close with four principles on God's, on godliness in our life and training. So uh, the easy way to think about godliness is to by adding an extra word and saying God-likeness. And not in the heretical way that we are like God. We don't subscribe to Mormon theology that says you are going to become a God when you die. That is heretical and wrong and damning teaching. Rather, what I'm talking about is that in the sense that you are like a God, uh, that you are like God-like qualities in your attributes. That you are increasingly characterized by love, patience, kindness, justice, etc., etc., etc. So godliness is a character that reflects the image of God in us. And even more specifically, godliness is a character that reflects the image of Christ. 
For example, Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Does that make sense, teens? Can you hear that? Did you hear that verse? All right, Romans 8, 29, I want you to write it down. So salvation is not going to heaven. It's not, just, it's not just about going to heaven. It's not just about the forgiveness of sins. It's also conformity to Christ. We have such a narrow view of salvation. We kind of only think about salvation as, okay, I have my fire insurance. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be good. My sins are forgiven. But it's also conformity and transformation. It's becoming like Jesus in this life. And the reason that, that we need to talk about this, and the New Testament talks about this and makes allusions to this, this idea about becoming like Jesus, is because in Christ, in Jesus, the God-man, we find perfect godliness on display. It's rather hard to understand all that God is. It's, it's rather hard to think of God in all the abstract. But in Jesus Christ, we see God in flesh, something tangible, something physical on display to see. And if you want to know what perfect humanity looks like, that we're called to live like, then you look at Jesus. If you want to see what godliness looks like, then you look at Jesus. And what Jesus is, how he lived, is a restoration of God's image that is in all of us. Because remember that all humanity was made in the image of God. And yet that image has been marred and marked by sin and corruption. So what godliness is in your life, if you will, is a sort of cleaning up of that image that has been implanted in all of you. It's a refining of the image of God. And it's God's work in you to conform us, to make us more like Jesus. So I want to give you a specific definition. I don't want to just leave it at God-likeness, because as fun as that is and as easy as it is to remember, it can also be a little confusing. So I put this little definition together. It says, godliness is a life that is characterized by devotion to God, stemming from faith in Christ Jesus. That's the simplest way that I could think of defining it. So it's a life of devotion. And many of us think of devotion as an act that you kind of do in the morning, like where you read your Bible. And uh, if you're really spiritual, maybe you're going to, you know, journal. And then if you're better than all the other Christians, you might even sing a song, right? Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but that's an act of a, a devotion. But devotion itself is a faith, faith-fueled commitment to God. A life of devotion means that there isn't any part of your life where you aren't seeking that area to point to God and honor God. Meaning, not just Sunday morning Aaron is honoring God, but Monday through Saturday Aaron is honoring God. Business dealing Aaron is honoring God. My work life, my professional life, my private life, my family life, every single area of my life is surrendered to God, pointing to God and bringing honor to God his name. It's easy to act like a Christian for an hour on a Sunday. It's really easy to do that. It's harder to live for Christ throughout the weeks. 
Godliness is a life that is character, characterized by devotion to God that stems from faith in Jesus. Meaning apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope for godliness in your life. There is no real hope for change in your life or transformation. We're going to come back to that. But if it isn't rooted in Jesus, there isn't going to be any real change, just behavior modification. There is no deep and profound change in the character and in the heart that affects the outflow of your life. And we see this principle of godliness being a life characterized by devotion in Titus chapter 2, 11 to 14 that says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all our lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So as you see, godliness is a life that is characterized to, uh, by devotion to God that stems from your faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, it's stemmed in Jesus because Jesus is the one that saves. Jesus is the one that redeems, that forgives, that cleanses. And it's in him that you and I are progressively being changed in his image. And it's his example then and his laws that he has laid out for us that we must follow and heed. And this is impossible, this sort of life and transformation is impossible apart from divine power. It can't happen without divine influence and favor. For example, 2 Timothy 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So in other words, godliness is dependent upon divine power that he has granted to you. And apart from him, you have no access to it. You have no means by which to become godly. Which begs this question, can people really change? Can people really change? Now, if you ask most people in the world this question, and in my experience, I've always got the answer, no. People don't change. Most people believe this. And this is sadly normally believed and said about people who commit certain types of crimes or people who have certain types of compulsions. People commonly say that those people will never change. And maybe Christians will go as far as say, okay, okay, well, they'll be forgiven of their sins. Maybe they'll be a bit transformed and they'll be given a new heart, but their character, sorry, their character is never going to change. But church, that's unchristian thinking. That's actually anti-Christian theology. Our, our other people might say, of course people change. People change all the time, Aaron. But what they're generally referring to is behavior. We can change our behavior. That's not too hard. We can clean up our act. We can stop doing stupid things and start doing smart things. We can stop eating unhealthy, start eating healthily. We can stop drinking alcohol all the time and start exercising, self-control, etc., etc., etc. So behavior modification is a real thing that happens all the time. People can change their behavior, but do people really change at the point of the heart, at the point of their character? Now, in my experience, as I said, I've heard far too many people, including Christians, say, no, not there. 
But I would argue, Scripture argues, yes, church, even there, even there people can change and should be changed and should be expected to change. But here's the disclaimer. It's only possible through the power of God. It's only possible through the transforming power of God. Because he is not really into conforming our conduct to the image of Christ. I think a lot of churches have changed the scriptures to say, oh, it's all about moralistic stuff. It's not just your conduct. He is conforming you, all of you, every fiber of your being. He changes you. And most of you already know this. You know that your hearts are different. You know that the things you used to love, you no longer love. You know that the things you used to hate, you no longer hate. You all know this if you're true believers on some level. But the problem is, is that we don't experience enough of that change on a large scale. And what I want for me and what I want for you as a church and what I want to see in revival is that we see this type of change on a large scale. That we see godliness prevalent in our churches and in our lives and in our homes. But I think the reason that most of us don't experience that kind of true change broadly and deeply is that we don't understand to the degree in which our own perseverance matters in the development of godliness in our lives. It's a shared effort. You want to be godly? All Christians I know, true Christians I know, want to be godly. I've never heard a true Christian say, you know, I really like Jesus, but I don't really want to be like him. Right? That makes, <laughs> makes no sense, right? Most people uh, want to be godly as they serve Christ, but most people don't put in the effort or the time because believe it or not, or like it or not, godliness doesn't just happen. Okay, you can't just grab your Bible, throw it under your pillow, and hope that it goes into your brain through osmosis. Okay, I wish it was that easy because we would all be amazingly godly, but that's not how it happens. It is the work of God, yes, it is the power of God, yes, but it's also the consequence of our own perseverance and our own training. Train yourself for godliness. That's what our main verse says today. Train yourself for godliness. Like, consider that with me for a moment. Just really think on that verse for a moment. It doesn't even say, be trained. What does it say? It says, train yourself, meaning take some responsibility. Get up and train yourself. Stand up and start doing the hard work. Don't be passive in your godliness, but be active. Don't just sit back and chill and hope that it's all going to just work out in the end. This is some crazy theology that has been going around for a year, a few years, and it's been growing in its prevalence in some circles, saying things like, yes, I would agree with that. We need to work out our sanctification. Hear me. I'm saying sanctification, not salvation. Work out our sanctification. Yes, I agree with that. But what they do, where I think they go into error, is they start to say things, and that working out just means simply resting in the finished work of the forgiveness of your sins. Now, that's not what scripture commands us to do. But I want to precursor that. Yes, we are to rest in the assurance of the forgiveness of sins for our salvation. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But we are also called to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And then what does it say? Put on the works of righteousness. That takes work. 
We are supposed to train ourselves for godliness. Meaning if you want to be godly, then you will have to take responsibility to train yourself. I can drag you all I want to the gym, but I can't make you lift the weight. I can drag you all I want to a healthy restaurant, but I can't make you choose the salad over the burger. <laughs> right? Nobody touches my Alberta beef. Right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is not, you need to take responsibility of training yourself. This is not talking about salvation. This is not, ta- this is, ta- sorry, this is talking about your sanctification. So we rest in the finished work of our salvation because we are saved by Christ through faith by grace. You contribute nothing to your salvation but the sin that made it necessary for Christ to die for you. Amen? Your salvation has been bought with a price. It is sec- you are securely sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ. But sanctification, because of our salvation, we have been enabled to start doing works that are good. We are able to start training ourselves for godliness because we've been given a new heart, we've been given a new nature, and we've been transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we start to work that out. And that word train, as many of you might know, it comes from the Greek word that we get gym or gymnasium. So it's a reference literally from Paul to athletes, athletics, and sports. It's about physical training. But what Paul is doing is he is applying the idea of rigorous Olympian training to your spiritual life. He says, train yourself for godliness. Or in 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 12, he says, But as for you, O man, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life, which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Does that verse sound passive to you? Right? Like he's saying, flee, pursue, take hold of, right? Uh, 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 pursue these things. This is not passive. Does that sound like it's just going to happen? No, Paul's saying to work for it. You have to fight for it. You have to contend for it. Or in sec- or 2 Peter 1, 3 to 5, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promise, so that through them you may become partakers of divine nature, having escaped from the corruptions that are in this world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and God Godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that they are blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from former sins. Wow! That's probably one of the best detailings that Paul has given us on what it looks like to work out our sanctification. And one way that I remind myself of this when I feel discouraged about my progression in sanctification is I say two things. I say sanctification is a process. It takes time. 
I have to remind myself of that because I want things and I want them now, and I'm sure you do too. And the other one is abs don't just happen. Right? Abs don't just happen. Muscles don't just appear overnight. Right? I can't just go to the gym once, lift one weight, sit down at home, and expect to wake up with a six-pack the next day. Okay? That's not how it happens. It takes consistency. It takes working at it. And it takes not quitting. And it's the same for the fruit in our lives. Fruit doesn't just appear. Yes, God gives us the inkling and the moving, and we start moving in a direction that we would never move before. But godliness doesn't just happen. Athletes and musicians don't just come out of nowhere. It takes practice and work and coaching. And I actually like the idea of athletes and musicians because they're great examples on what it looks like to train yourself because they don't exist without training. Because just like athletes and musicians, it takes hard work, it takes dedication, it takes routine, and it takes even times of frustration when you're just not getting the results you want. Right? We've all been there where we've been putting in the time and the effort and just not getting the results we want. But those are important times you ask any athlete or musician because those times make them a better athlete, a better musician. I remember when I was teaching myself guitar and I would be so frustrated as I just couldn't strum properly and I couldn't get the stupid pinky to press hard enough on the strings and I was angry with myself. But I look back at those times and I'm thankful because they've made me able to persevere when I make mistakes on stage or things like that. They made me a better musician. And I'm not saying I'm a good one. I'm just saying it made me a better one, right? So it's the same with training yourself in godliness. It takes action. It takes dedication. It takes routine, blood, sweat, and tears. And to fight to put on the new self. To fight to live from your new nature and not believe the lies of the enemy. To remind yourself that your sins are forgiven. So start living like it. It takes a fight to correct your thinking. It takes consistency and reliance upon the power of God. The only reason, you need to remind yourself of this, the only reason that you can fight for godliness is because God has given you the ability to do so. And in this fight, I want to reiterate once again, I am not talking about salvation. I am talking about sanctification, your godliness. You don't work for your salvation, but your sanctification requires you to take action and begin to actively pursue living from your new nature. It's out with the old, and it's in with the new. It takes work. And on this journey of training yourself, you must not forget that you need community. You need to be around fellow Christians who are standing with you, who are coaching you, who are spurring you on, who are taking you and forcing your eyes, per se, back on Christ when you're focusing on the storms of life and getting stuck in a rut. You need community. You need the local church as imperfect as she is. We're imperfect. We're going to hurt each other. Surprise. Somebody's going to say something dumb to you one day here, and it's going to hurt your feelings. But we need each other. We need the community. Remember, everyone who uh, trains to achieve something, and on that journey of training, they will always face lots of failures, setbacks in their training, and it's the same with the Christian life. It's the same with our life in Christ. But those times are important. Those times of offense, those times of hurt, They're important because they grow you closer to Christ. Don't hear that as liberty to start being jerks to each other. I'm just saying. (laughs) Those times do help us move closer to Christ when they happen. It's not a cakewalk. We are called to put in hard work, to press in to what Christ has called us to be that he's laid out in his word. Here's a simple statement. 
It's not going to be popular, but I think you guys learned by now that I don't tailor my messages to be popular. But the reason many of us are dealing with the same sin that we've been dealing with for years after years after years is because we have not put in the hard work to kill it. We have not put in the hard work to put it to death. Now, on one level, it's true. You're probably always going to have a temptation to that sin. You're probably always going to have these, these, this pulling towards it, this drawing toward, towards it. The urges are going to be strong. Maybe you might even occasionally fall into it once in a while, but they're few and far uh, from each other. But when there's no progress, that's what I'm talking about, where you're just freely falling back into that same sin over and over again without any type of fight, it's likely because you're refusing to put in the hard work to put it to death. It's hard work to train ourselves for godliness. And it requires time, routine, and ritual. And this involves everything from regular observance of the Lord's Day to not forsaking the gathering, not saying, here's a big one, that online church is enough. Livestream church is not a substitute for the gathering of the saints. It does not accomplish what we are called to accomplish by gathering. It's great when we're on vacation. It's great when the snows past our door. But it's not a replacement to gather with the saints. So invest in this church. Invest in the people you're sitting next to. Invest in life groups. Put in regular routines to engage with God's word both in your private life and in this corporate life and word, with the word of God and through prayer. It's just the basics of Christianity. Nothing fancy. But we so often neglect the basi basics. We so often become too confident in how good we're doing and we fail. So as you gather, what we need to be doing is coaching each other. Yes, your pastor, me, and the other pastors are your coach. Remember, the elders are all your pastors. Everyone who's serving an elder, you can call them pastor if you want because that's what they are. They're your pastors. But we're not your only coaches. We can all be coaching each other and we should all be coaching each other. I have different people in my life, from dean to, to elders to others, like Peter, who are coaching me in my life where they are strong and I am weak. But then in turn, I coach them in their lives where they are weak and I am strong. And you similarly have strengths that is somebody else's weakness. And God wants to use your strengths to help encourage that other person who is weak. And they, he wants to use their strengths where you are weak and we all just begin to coach each other and spur each other on to godliness. We need community. There is no healthy Christian life. You cannot do what God has called you to do or be apart from the local church. It just doesn't happen. And sure, you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up. And we as a church, this is a challenge to us all. We need to grow in areas of restoring people back from their failures. We need to grow in this. We write off people far too quickly in the church because they have failed. You know what we're doing? We're wasting an opportunity to build them back stronger, to build them up with the word of God, to exhort them with his word, and, and walk with them through their struggle and through their pain and through their failure, and see Christ glorified through their lives. We're, we're missing that opportunity when we write people off too quickly. So you're going to fail, you're going to mess up, and when you do, you need the help of your local church, the community. And we need to commit right now, today, as a church, 
that we are going to restore people. We're going to get good at this, at restoring people and helping them keep their eyes on Christ. Amen. Can we do that? Amen. So the question we have to answer as I begin to close is, what is our true north? And the best picture of this in the Bible, in my estimation, is found in Colossians 3, 1 to 10. And I'm just going to read through it real quickly. It says, can you change that for me? It says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. The greatest disappearing act ever. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. And on the count of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie uh, to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have been put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So what we have here in those ten verses are four fundamental principles that we should emulate. And these are the principles that we have for training ourselves in godliness. And the first one is faith. Now, faith, I don't just mean believing in God and trusting in Jesus. Yes, don't hear me wrong, that is part of it. But what I mean is that you have a growing, robust faith which necessitates theology. You have no faith without doctrine. Doctrine and theology are synonymous, same thing. And theology just means the study of God. Nothing scary. Don't be worried about that word. You must have a theology, a growing theology of Christ. And, and, and it's an inherent part of your faith. Because the object of your faith is who? Jesus. So you want to ask questions like, who is Jesus? <laughs> what has Jesus done? What is he doing? And what is he going to do? What are his promises? That's all theology. What is his personality like? What are his works like? That's all theology. Paul says in Colossians, if you have been raised with Christ, that what does he command us? He says, set your mind then on things that are above, where Christ is. That means that's where your mind should be invested, in things that are above, where Jesus is. And contrary to popular belie uh, uh, sayings that go around, and I just hate this. Can we commit together not to say this? I don't need theology or doctrine. I just need my relationship with Jesus. Oh, ludicrous. How do you even have, how do you even understand your relationship with Jesus without theology? You can't. They're connected together. Theology, doctrine, is not even antithetical to devotion. Doctrine is not even disconnected from relationship. It's not even disconnected from devotion. There can be no devotion, no relationship to God without theology, without doctrine. For example, look at 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy 6, 3-4. It says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So Paul is saying, watch out for those people who are teaching doctrines that do not accord with or are connected to or promote godliness. Watch out for those people because they're phonies. They're false teachers. They're dangerous and they're poisonous and they will hurt you and lead you astray. 
And I say this often that um, uh, discernment is not as easy as just right from wrong. It's knowing right from almost right. It's going to sound true. And you need to know the truth so you can identify the phonies. Doctrine should naturally lead to relationship and worship. If your doctrine or theology is not leading you to devotion, then you're doing it wrong. Or, as Timothy says, or Paul says in Timothy, sorry, your doctrine's bad. But if you have true doctrine, this is possible, and it's, and it's not leading you to devotion, then it's not doctrine's fault, it's your fault. You're just going to the Word of God to, to puff yourself up with knowledge. I know way too many Christian men and women who know the Word of God, maybe even better than me, but they're jerks. And they're hurtful. And they run around like Peter with the sword, and they're cutting off people's ears in the church. And Jesus is constantly having to heal the wounds of those well-meaning Christians because they're being jerks, because they're not believing truly what they say they believe. So we need a faith that is robustly strengthened by theology. So our training is faith, and then the next principle is repentance. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when we looked at the idea of killing our sin. We must encourage one another to identify and put to death the corruptions that remain in our lives where we are still waging war against Christ's lordship. The third principle is the practice of purity. So again, in the passage in Colossians that we read, we see Paul saying, put to death those corruptions. In other places, he says, because they're all abominations. Oh, it's not just the sexual sins that are abominations, Aaron. You see, it's easy for us as a church to point to homosexualities as an abomination, but we fail to understand that your gossip and your greed is also an abomination to God. Think about that the next time you go to spread a rumor about someone in this church. That's an abomination to the Lord. It's easy to point our fingers at a community, but not realize that we are equally as guilty of socially accepted sins within our church. And we need to repent of those sins and turn to Christ and flee them. So, our th so we must have a faith that is strengthened with theology. We must engage in the ongoing, grueling work of repentance. And we must pursue the practice of purity and the things that God has called us to do. And I call it the practice of purity because it actually takes practice. Many Christians think that they should just be able to do it. That it should just come naturally. And in an ideal world, yes, I agree with you. It should just come naturally, but we don't live in an ideal world. We live in a sinful, broken, fallen world. And because sin has corrupted the world and us in such a way, on this side of eternity, I just want to give you this freedom, you're never going to see a Christian living perfectly. So just get that out of your mind right now. I'm not saying you don't strive for excellence, you don't strive to live for Christ, but you're never going to do it perfectly. You're still going to mess up, you're still going to make mistakes as a believer. So, you're never going to see perfect conformity to the will of God in your life. And any conformity that you do have that does happen, that is real, will be progressive. Meaning that it's going to take time. It's going to be slow. It's going to take effort. And it's going to take practice. So, it's the practice of purity that is fueled by power of the Holy Spirit. And then number four is training is done in community. So, what does our training look like on a more practical, on a more principled level? It's faith, it's repentance, and it's the practice of purity all being done in the context of a local church community. 
One of my favorite passages that talk about this is Hebrews 12 to, uh, 3, 12 to 13. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what we need if we're going to fight our sin and pursue godliness is actually become people whom God has designed us to be and navigate the obstacles that, he, that are in our life is what we need is community in communion with one another that allows for personal exhortation where we actually share the word of God with each other, where we actually point out each other's errors and our shortcomings without fear of being destroyed in return, we are, that we are able to lovingly point out error, and then we can graciously receive the pointing out of our own error. Because I have blind spots, believe it or not, and sometimes I need people to go, hey, dude, you're, you're missing the mark there. I need that, because they're blind spots for a reason, and so do you. But we have to be equipped and ready to share the word of God with those who need it. Because when your brother or your sister in the Lord is struggling and is on the verge of collapsing in their faith, you know what they don't need? It's a pat on the back and attaboy and I'm praying for you. They don't, don't do that. They don't need that. They need you to exhort them with the word of God because that is what God uses to change them. Please hug them. Please love them. Please tell them you're praying for them. But also invest in their lives. Exhort them with the word of God. If you don't want, if you don't want to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin like we just read about, then you must have brothers and sisters in your life that are speaking the word of God to you. And you speaking it to them. That's what exhortation is. So the principle here is that it all boils down to our persistence. Godliness is the consequence of God's power first and foremost. And our persistence. We are made for godliness. We just don't look like it because we're out of shape. And we're a mess. <laughs> We've got all the faculties to be godly men and women. We've got all the faculties. Not because we're human. But because we're redeemed humans. Because we have been saved and changed by Christ. And God has granted us all things that are necessary for life and godliness by his divine power. The highest compliment that you could ever be paid is someone to say about you that you are godly. Most of us don't really think about it. We want to be known for our skills, for our personality, for, for our work or whatever. But the highest compliment that you could be paid as a Christian is someone to say that you are a godly example to other brothers and sisters. And it's not because you're great. Or you're some super saint because it wouldn't be possible without the power of God. But it also wouldn't be possible without your persistence. So you're an example to follow. This should be the greatest desire that we have for our families, our friends, for our children. Before you want anything else for your children or your friends, you should want them to be godly. And I'm not talking about morality here. I'm not talking about being morally right. I'm talking about being godly. Because you can have morally right children, but they are privately and personally just a mess. Terrible people. I'm not talking about mere external conformity and behavior modification to the things that are good. I'm talking about true godliness, a character that is changed or transformed. A life that is characterized by devotion, that stems from faith in Jesus. That is a desire that I, we should have for our friends, for our kids, for our spouses, for our church, for our elders, for our deacons, for everyone sitting in these chairs, that they are godly. And we tend to think so much about sin and depravity and the, that we'll never be perfect. And yeah, we should think on that. But we often forget that it's possible to be godly right now. 
It's possibly godly in this life. I can be a godly man. You can be a godly man or woman, not because you are awesome, but because God's grace has been given to every believer. He has given you everything we could ever need for a life of godliness. You can be godly. It's just not easy. It's not that you have been blessed with, you know, the genetics per se. It's just going to come easy to you, right? When I go to the gym and I see these guys who are ripped, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just because they're genetically modified that way. Yeah. Uh, no, it's because I'm lazy. That's why, right? Uh, and so, like, we can say the same thing. Oh, they're just, they're, that, there's genetic. Nobody has the genetics for godliness, okay? We all have spiritually slow metabolisms. There is not some special pill that you can buy from the lady you went to high school with in her pyramid scheme that is going to... <laughs> that's going to speed up your spiritual metabolism. There's no quick fixes to these things. You have to do the hard work. You have to watch what you ingest. You have to work hard at putting on the new and throwing away the old by the power of Christ. It won't happen apart from the grace and the power of God. But it won't happen also if you don't put in the effort. Because godliness is the consequence of God's power in your persistence. Amen? Let's pray and then take communion. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you've called us to this life that resembles Christ. And although, Lord, it's hard, it's grueling, it takes work and practice, Lord, you have not called us to do it in our own strength or on our own, but you have given us the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that empowers us to do this. Father, I do pray that we would become a loving and close-knit community that when we see blind spots, we can lovingly point them out and receive when our blind spots are pointed out gracefully as well. Father, may we help each other, encourage each other, walk each other when we can't walk any further, help each other to keep our eyes focused on Christ and not the storm. Father, I thank you for all who sit in these chairs. And Father, I pray, Lord, for the highest compliment that they could ever be paid, that they would be a godly example to each other. In Jesus' name.